DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined by Steve Cleveland, our basketball and now our life insider as well. Steve joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, in the midst of everything going wrong in the world, I have turned into a hopeless optimist on one particular thing. And I may be proven wrong on this. We'll, we'll know because we'll have the eyeball test and judge for ourselves. But I saw the Jazz canceling a practice opportunity. I'm thinking, man, you're down in Disney World in the bubble. And you got all this time. And even if you had, uh, you know, some teams are more shorthanded than the Jazz. Even if you only had eight guys, you could do a four on four. You could do something. And I'm thinking, they got all this practice time. They got three scrimmages. They got eight games. By the time we get the playoffs, I thought it was going to be maybe some iffy basketball. But I'm starting to think, this ought to be really pretty good quality basketball. I'm, I'm optimistic that this is going to look really good when they get to the playoffs. Am I right? Well, I, I, I'm optimistic as well. And, and, and the reason being is that there, there are little to no distractions. I mean, I think it seems like just looking... Again, looking from afar and, and, and seeing all the activities they're involved in, it's like they haven't missed a step, the NBA, in terms of all the activities and different things that, that the guys can do. And I know it must be difficult being away from their families, their girlfriends, their wives, the whole deal. But uh, I think the thing that about being together, and there is a, is a togetherness, there's a unity together that uh, you can't create anywhere else. So you can't create this home anywhere else in the world. And consequently, I think guys are really focused. They know the whole world's watching them. And it's an opportunity for the NBA to really take a step forward and do something really unique and really special. And there may be an asterisk around whoever ends up winning this thing. But I I think it it just appears that everybody's kind of enjoying the experience. And uh, it's more more of a united effort and and a unity deal where – Guys aren't just going home, you know, practice is over, they go home, they go home to their families, they go home by themselves, whatever. I mean, they're living with each other full time. And that that enhances the culture, that enhances relationships. Guys get I me, mean, they're kind of forced to get to know teammates that maybe they don't hang out with. You know, a lot of guys that are married, you know, practice is over, they get their, their shots up, they're out of there. But now they're in a situation where they really got to depend on each other for everything that they do. And so I think it's a real positive thing. Uh, are kind of worried initially that after three or four weeks of this, they get bored, but they seem to really be finding things that uh, uh, keep their interest and uh, developing new relationships. And I, I think the basketball is going to be great. It's just going to be weird doing it, watching it without fans. Yeah, I think the key that you just said is that they know the world is going to be watching, and this is something that you've spent your entire adult world in. When they know people are going to be watching, whether when you're coaching at BYU or Fresno and you start to see the fans pile into this to the arenas, that the kids, in this case the college kids, they get, ex- they get excited. It's more than just a scrimmage. Even when you, you would do the the Midnight Madness or whatever they call it at BYU, the blue and white or whatever it was, couldn't you sense a little bit more excitement when you had that first time and you did like an inter-squad scrimmage and you invited the public in to watch it versus when you did it alone? And I know there won't be any fans, but there'll be all sorts of media attention. So I'm expecting these guys to be jacked. I, I, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, in a normal setting, 
when you've been grinding out practices and you're two-a-days and doing all the things that you do with practice, watching tons of film, and then it's that night before Midnight Madness, you know, everybody just has so much energy. It's so excited. And I, I think you're gonna, there's a parallel between this, these two situations. And they're not going to wear these guys out. They're, they're only there for a short period of time. I think they've got maybe three weeks of practice. But you do kind of get bored with it. And, and you're doing the same things. So they've got to make coaches, the, 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 the actual organizations themselves, have to provide different things to keep these guys' interest. Basketball is basketball. But more important maybe will be the relationships that are being developed here and the, the unity of teams that they've maybe never seen before because they're just not spending this much time with their teammates ever. And, and when a normal year, whatever we would call normal now these days, uh, in a normal season, they're not spending eight, nine, ten hours with your teammates. And I guess you could say, well, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, I don't like these guys. But I think what's happened, because of the unity of, and, and for, a, for a lot of reasons, uh, I don't think the league will ever be more united than it is right now. I mean, every it's, it's everybody on deck. This is what we're doing. And uh, it, it, it's going to really, in my mind, elevate the NBA even more so than they already are. And, and we've watched the NBA grow and develop and, and just be a, a great success story. Uh, this takes it to another level. And uh, I remember as a player, I remember as a coach, uh, the excitement and the energy that comes from playing games. Uh, and I, I think we're going to see a great product. And uh, it, it will be, you know, I don't know if they're going to have canned in noise or what they're going to do. Maybe it will be, we'll have an opportunity, kind of a unique situation. Well, what fan wouldn't love to come to practice or to a scrimmage and listen to the interaction between players on the floor and the coaches? And, uh, you know, there, there may be uh, a little bit of censoring here and there, but for the most part, Every fan would love to have an opportunity to come to a closed practice and watch coaches, watch players interact with each other and find out what goes on behind the scenes rather than just in a game setting. Well, yes, people would absolutely positively love that. Um, now, these guys are going to know that they're on, so even though it's closed, you know they know it's on TV, and they still get feedback from the fans. Maybe it would be different without social media, but they're going to know the world is watching because they're going to check the social media and they're going to see it. Yeah, that, that there's no question. There's checks and balances here. Right? Everybody's going to have to be a little more appropriate, maybe than they've been. I mean, we we've all been in practices where things get heated and things get competitive, and uh, I can't imagine and I'm still not being a little bit of smack talk and uh, things said. Uh, you know, the world is watching. They're going to have to be appropriate in their language. I'm sure there are going to be some mess ups once in a while, but uh, I'm I'm sure they've been tutored on this from. Uh, from the commissioner down to the coaches that, listen, this is a well, – families are watching this, and <clears throat> we need to remember who we are and think, uh, take away from their competitiveness and, and uh, you know, the, the mental part of the game where you, you do talk to guys and you do kind of get into their head. I, I can't imagine that not being a part of this experience. If you're Quinn Snyder and his staff, how do you approach trying to replace Bogdanovich? You know, I, I've, and the first thing that would come to my mind is this, is that it allows them to probably put more ball handlers on the floor. It allows them to play at a different tempo. Yes, they're, they're missing out on a really good shooter, but 
there's not a coach in the world that whether it's at the beginning of the game or the end of the game that you don't like to go small or be able to have four ball really good ball handlers on the floor. It makes it more difficult to defend. Uh, it just gives you versatility. I, I know that at the end of a lot of games that I coached, I went small because I could I, I put the best free throw shooters on the floor, put guys that can handle the ball, and uh, and we could switch everything. And I think you know defensively, it, it makes a, a big difference. Certainly, that's a big loss, and it's 20 points a night, but it gives other guys a chance to step up and play. And for me. Unless there's just a real significant issue defensively where you can't guard guys and it's bad matchups, I'd always rather go. I'd always rather play small because there's just more versatility offensively. I can switch everything defensively, and there's uh, fewer decisions to be made on the court. It just kind of happens, kind of organically. We know this is how we're going to play. We're going to switch everything one to four, or you know, whatever your schemes are. Uh, it makes it easier when you go small. I think it gives them a chance to have more ball handlers on the floor more shooters on the floor, and uh, there's something comfortable about that. So one theory is that, uh, you know, this is going to be more for Jordan Clarkson. He's been really good with the second group, but, you know, when you're in a second group, you're usually out on the floor with a couple guys who, if they aren't non-scorers, they certainly aren't as good as scorers, so you get a real green light. When you're out there trying to fit in with four of the other best players on the team, many of whom are ball handlers and shooters, it requires you to play different you think Clarkson's a good fit for that role for the extra minutes, or does somebody else need to be the person that would be a better fit? Uh, that's a really good question. I, I think initially, uh, if I'm coaching that team, I want to see what it looks like with Jordan Clarkson with him. I mean, it's an experiment to a certain degree, and uh, I, I, I would rather take a look at that early on. Let's see what this looks like. Let's see if you know. Let's play two or three games this way uh, because. He, he does have the ability to really put up numbers and put them up quickly. And if it puts him in a situation, and you know what else it does? It makes Donovan Mitchell, um, not, not to say that we don't want, you know, that a coach wouldn't want him shooting more, but if Donovan Mitchell scoring four or five less points and has six or seven more assists, and Jordan Clarkson is averaging 18 or 19 points a game, they probably become a better team. And I'm not suggesting for a minute that Donovan Mitchell not be the guy and, and, and take big shots, but what what if he what if Donovan Mitchell can wear another hat more significantly than he has in the past and and really distribute the basketball, get guys going, hey, lay in the shot clock. I mean he or Jordan Clark Jordan Clarkson's good with the ball at the end of the shot clock. He's creative, but it's still Donovan Mitchell's team. But what about you know the role that he takes where he's distributing and, uh, and, and no one's going to question when he takes a contested shot. No one's going to ever question him when he wants the ball in his hand late in the shot clock. But I like Jordan Clarkson. I, I think you've got to make baskets. He's another guy that can make baskets. And, and certainly defense kind of wins championships. But you know what? You get down by 15 or 20, <laughs> defense is not going to help you. Not, not in that game. You've got to have guys who can put the ball on the floor, score it, and I like Jordan Clarkson in that lineup. I, I would experiment with it early to see what it looks like. If it doesn't work, then go back to the norm and then figure out who you want to put into those slots. 
So I'm wondering with Mitchell, that's an interesting concept there. You know, he's been this scorer, and he's talked about how he wants to be a better passer. How hard is it to get to that level to have that good balance in terms of when to create for yourself and when to look for other guys? I think that what they do, you know, in practice, film sessions, one-on-one, I think Donovan Mitchell probably has a great relationship with his teammates, but... I think that when you're watching film and you're looking, you know, he needs to be the guy. Look, see, you come off that screen. If you curl that thing and do this or do that, I can get the ball to you. And it, 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 he, he engages his teammates that way in film sessions. He engages them in practice when a guy maybe doesn't take the shot he should have taken. And, and that, that happens a lot with guys. You know, they go, well, I, you know, I wasn't sure. Well, if, if Donovan Mitchell is telling him, no, you've got to take that shot. That's your shot. Well, he hears that from the point guard, from the best player on the team. It instills confidence. And then Donovan can do so many things in terms of when guys are succeeding or not or whatever the circumstances are. But he's, he's, a, big, he's a big key here. I mean, we, they've looked at him. Everybody looks at him as an athletic scorer, and he's amazing. But really, for this team to get to the next level, his his leadership uh, on and off the court is a big, big part of what this team's capacity is going to be. And I think he can really instill confidence by the little things you do off the court in film sessions, practice, just one-on-one, talking about things, or even watching film with your teammate with no coaches there. Hey, look, what can we do to get you open so we can create space to do this or do that or coming off ball screens, whatever the circumstance is, uh, I, I think Donovan Mitchell's role, if, if the Jazz are going to be successful in this little stretch of two or three months, uh, he doesn't have to score 40 points a game. What he's got to do is get in this play, his team playing to its full capacity and full potential. And that's going to require he do things that he hasn't ever done before, that he's going to at times give the ball to a Jordan Clarkson late in the shot clock and with full confidence knowing he wants to take that shot. Now, we know what happens in games. If these guys aren't performing and all of a sudden shots aren't going down, he automatically already has the green light and he's going to have to do that. So some way, somehow, you've, you've got to find a blend of both. And, uh, but I think early on in these seven or eight games that they're going to play, why not experiment with different lineups and put, the, put shooters on the floor? And uh, you only got a guard for about 12 seconds anyway in the NBA. By the time they push it up, shots are going up quick. I like the idea right now early on in this that, uh, that Donovan Mitchell is wearing both hats equally as a scorer and a distributor. And, uh, you know, who knows what might happen. It, it's right now uh, they need to be better than they are if, if they want to play late, late and deep into this tournament. And so it's one of those things that I, I would certainly, as a coach, be encouraging Donovan, talking to him about it. And if I was Donovan Mitchell, I'd be talking to my teammates about it as well. And I'm going to add a new role here. I want to, I want to help us be better. I can help us be better by getting you the ball in positions where you like to score it. Let's talk more about that. Uh, everybody knows that his role late in the shot clock, if he's got the ball in his hands, is probably going to do something with it. Well, who's going to, you know, who's going to get a double team? He's going to get doubled. And guys got to know that he's going to give it up. So I, I like it. I like going small. I mean, I'd rather have McDonavich there because, you know, he's 18, 20 a night and 
But that being said, even if Bogdanovich was there, you know, I would look for ways to play Bogdanovich at the four or five sometimes when you go small and just put as many shooters on the floor as you can. So, man, you got me thinking about a million things right there. Uh, one thing you said, if you think Donovan's game is at the point where he's just going to be doubled all the time, then doesn't that just scream Clarkson? Because there's going to be open shots. Oh, yeah. There's going to be open shots. And I think for good point guards, especially early in games, rather than your best players taking the shots, let's get the, let's get the guys that, not that Jordan Clarkson doesn't have confidence. He's really confident. But I know at the collegiate level, Sometimes it helped our team when the fourth leading scorer on the team got early shots and got their confidence, and we're looking for those guys off of sets or quick hitters. And so, excuse me. So it's one of those situations where early in a game when we're just feeling things out and trying to get a figure, that's that's kind of when you want to look for those guys. And you know, all of a sudden, a couple of baskets go down, and there's some confidence there now. It's not a. It's not at a critical, crucial time in the game. You know, you don't want to play the whole game at the end of the game. On, you know, I'm going to get it to, to DJ. Uh, you know, he hasn't had a shot in a while. No, you can't do that. that. That's when you start losing basketball games. But early on in games is when Donovan Mitchell should set the tone in terms of getting guys shots, uh, especially early in the shot clock. And if not, he still has the freedom to take it and finish it late in the shot clock. But. The fewer contested shots, and it's hard in the NBA uh, to not have contested shots because there's not a lot of time. If you're taking three or four seconds to get it up, dead ball, something happens, ball out of bounds, you know, a lot of shots are contested. And that makes it more difficult for guys that aren't scorers, pure scorers that can shoot, make contested shots. But with other guys, they need open shots. And you get that by you know, having the ball in your best player's hand and attacking or using ball screens, and if that guy's rolling or somebody's just curling over the top of the screen, you're looking for them early. I mean, anything you can do early to get off guys that, that maybe uh, aren't your best shooters, it makes your team better late because they've got more confidence. You think this now that this uh, discord between Gobert and Mitchell has been exposed a little bit, uh, you think of in, in a basketball sense, they'll sort of be on their best behavior when the games resume? I can't imagine it not. Uh, I, I, honestly, I, I would lose some respect for both of them uh, if they can't put that and move on. You know, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's time to move on. You're, they're big boys, and you don't have to love each other, and you don't have to go hang out. And at night, and go to dinner together, or whatever. I, I get that. I mean, that happens in every team. I mean, it doesn't matter whether guys like each other or not. They gravitate to people who they're comfortable with. Uh, I'm I'm fine with them not going to dinner together or hanging out and you know playing pickleball. That's fine. But when it comes to the game, these are professionals, and they need to suck it up and put all that past them. Because if they don't, then it's not going to work, and it's probably the two of them aren't going to be teammates for a long time. Because if it doesn't work here and there's issues, then, then management's going to start taking a look at this. Okay, one of these guys has got to go. You just can't have that. That, that kind of chemistry at this level, man, you ought to all be on the same page. And, and they've got good talent, but, you know, they're, they're not a team with, you know, three or four all-stars. They, they, they're successful when they play together. 
and they have a great culture and there's chemistry and they move the ball, you know, and if all of a sudden you've, you've got uh, an environment where guys are chipping at each other and they're not getting along and, and they're not moved on from whatever the circumstance was, they'll never, they'll never ever reach their full potential as a team. So uh, I would hope that they're both old enough, mature enough, and if not, that the coaching staff makes it really clear, listen, you, you got to put this away. you got to move on. Uh, we, we can't be who we want to be. We can't be our best selves if we got a, a bad locker room. Steve, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for a few minutes to talk hoops. And, man, next week we'll be breaking down actual scrimmages. How about that? Yeah, that'll be cool. That'll be cool. Yeah, have a great week, guys. All right, thanks, Steve. Steve Cleveland, former BYU basketball coach, our basketball insider right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net! Presented by Zions Bank. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. The NBA will shorten the quarter length of the first exhibition games. will begin later this week from the standard 12 minutes down to 10 minutes. Change will only take place for the first exhibition game for teams. Jazz play Thursday against the Suns at 6 p.m. Carmelo Anthony has slimmed down to play the three for the Portland Trailblazers. While the league's been stopped, he's earned a new nickname, Skinny Mellow. And a 2003-4 LeBron James Upper Deck rookie card sold at auction for $1,845,000. That's your Back to Basketball update presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. For a bank that understands your business, Zions Bank is for you. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. No, we we do not advise listening to anything Kelly Oubre says. The Patriots are doing what? This is the NBA snitch line. That's a different number. Are you sure it was Boban? Yak is laughing his head off again, PK. I think he could listen to this a thousand I times in a row Honestly. and laugh every time. Are you sure it was Boban? Have you watched the because full... Who else could Boban be? Have you watched the three-minute clip of all no, this? No, I have not. Go back and watch it. Chris Haswell <laughs> knocks it out of the park. Have you seen all three minutes, PK? Uh, I don't think I have, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yach's seen it for both of us. He's still in there giggling. That was the uh, CBS Sports spoof of the NBA snitch line with a funny quip about the Patriots. That's the wrong line. Snitch on the Patriots on the NFL line. All right, time to get you up to date on everything we've talked about. We spent a lot of time talking about BYU and Alabama. Cecil Hurt joined us. He covers the Crimson Tide for the Tuscaloosa News. Alabama was supposed to play BYU, excuse me, supposed to play USC in Dallas in the Cowboys Stadium, a one-off game kind of reprising the 2016 game, which 
Alabama won in a blowout. It was 52 to 6 or something like that. And so, but BYU might end up playing them on campus. It's not clear that a game in Dallas would make that much sense. Bama is moving more games on campus in the future. They've been playing in Atlanta and Dallas, it seems like alternating every other year with a neutral side game. But Cecil told us they're spending five, it costs five million bucks to get a luxury box. Then you got to pay for the seats in the box, but five million donation to get the box. And so they're going to be bringing Ohio State and Notre Dame on campus as part of Home and Homes. Okay, then. <laughs> five million, PK. Eddie up. A lot of money to be had, that's for sure, man. When you realize the enormity of the financials that some of these teams have, these programs, and these organizations, I mean, that's basically what it is. I mean, we've got to stop with the mantra of the student-athlete because uh, that's just a small part of it, man. I mean, this is just an incredible amounts of money that these folks are just getting for these games. And people that are willing to pay and it means so much to them. That's where I think it's – that's where I have a hard time really understanding because, to me, it's a form of entertainment. But if it becomes so important to your life and your identity gets wrapped up in it, I think that's a little over the top. So, yes, to all of that, uh, Cecil said – and he just threw the numbers out off the top of his head – but $185 million budget, if you suddenly have $60 million in revenue – do you drop sports? Do you go to boosters and say, hey, can you write us a check to get us through the year? Uh, painful decisions out there if they can't play. And he did say the numbers are trending poorly there. He doesn't know if governors will let them play. That's all to be decided. They've kicked the can down the road another week or two. He's not sure that the numbers will change enough to give him any clarity. And it, it was clear listening to him that the, the non-conference season feels like it's at risk for the SEC teams even though they haven't announced that yet the way the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have? No. Uh, I mean, I think they're going to do everything in their possible within every single realm of reasonableism. To, if it's reasonableism, and I don't even know what's a word. But if they can do that, they're going to do it. And if they can't, it'll be because they've exhausted all and every single effort and avenue and way to do it. It's going to be, to an extent, controversial, even when uh, everything uh, that starts up again. Baseball, you know, when it starts up again, and it's already started, basically. They're playing games now with these uh, pre-summer exhibition games that they got going on here, and they televised them. And and, and I know tonight I'm going to be watching, and Arizona's going to be taking on the Dodgers from Chavez, and there's going to be nobody there. Uh, I watched a little bit of the Cubs and White Sox, and no one's there. Uh it's 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 um, it's weird to see nobody there, you know. And, and and one thing that's stupid is that I actually enjoyed putting those uh, cardboard cutouts of fans, at least in the in the front behind the home plate, uh, so you can see something there. And I noticed, you know, they pumped in noise, but. Uh, you, you got to adapt. You got to adapt on this situation. You know what I think it is when all this stuff is in the rearview mirror, whenever it might be down the line, and we get back to the sports as we know them and the fans as we know them. I think there might be a greater appreciation, and maybe then. And I'm probably so naive here. Maybe you are. then <laughs> you are. <laughs> maybe then we'll get it, and we won't have grown men coming down screaming at college kids, flipping them off, and. Or, or writing their mothers because somebody made a hard tackle in a game or something, and they'll, they'll find some level of perspective and appreciate the point of it 
which is competition, and there's a winner and loser, and then you go on with your life. You're naive. I know. Okay, as long as you know. because And I would say, as an example, to, to back up my argument, I would just look at September 11, 2001. That was going to change everything. It, this really puts everything into perspective. You can throw out whatever cliche, whatever you line you want. And, and I don't want to be too critical of it because I think in the moment, it was really genuine. People were legitimately, yeah, emotionally moved yeah. by everything that happened, of not course. just that morning, but over the ensuing days and weeks, right? The reporting on what happened to the families who lost people and all of that. And yet, you flash forward to 2006 or 8 or 10 or 12, and you can find... I mean, the malice in the palace came after that, right? That was horrible. The jazz fan uh, behind the Oklahoma City bench came after that. I mean, we can go uh, to whatever you want. Um, you know, came after that. that yeah, I get it. It's, we're living it socially yeah. now. I lived through the 92 riots. Right. And then here we are going through them. And there's other folks that are older than me, lived through the Watts riots uh, and all that stuff. Yeah. And I didn't. Uh, I don't remember that at all. But here I was living literally in my communities uh, where it happened in 92. I remember it it so vividly. I remember the date and the day of the week, everything, because I was there. And and, and obviously it was impacting at the moment great to to a strong level. And here we are, X amount of 28 years later, going through the same stuff. So it makes me wonder, all the T-shirts, all the slogans, all this, all that. If it's not brought down to the individual willing to make a change, I wonder if there's going to be change. I can't say that there's not going to be change, but is there going to be enough change? So we talked college football with Cecil Hurt from the Tuscaloosa News. Anything else from that you want to share? I thought, uh, you know, as a guy who's been uh, covering a pretty powerful program for 40 years, he had a lot of stuff to say about uh, college football from the, the finances to the scheduling he did say the BYU stuff's pretty far down the road. There's no point in signing anything now if they're not actually going to be able to play the game. But he, he made it sound like uh, they, were, they were pretty close to done. Uh, it seems to me that someone who's covered Alabama football since 1982 should, in fact, be named Cecil. <laughs> okay. Uh, the other college football note is that Air Force starting quarterback Donald Hammond III commits the upcoming season after falling out of good standing with the academy. Hammond's a senior. He started 11 of the 13 games in 2019. Air Force had a great year. They were 7-1 in the Mountain West with only the loss to Boise State. They were 11-2 overall. That's the kind of thing they usually do when they have a senior quarterback. To do that with a junior quarterback and have him coming back for a senior year, it seemed like they were set up for a big year. They usually have them with senior quarterbacks. And now, boy, if you're Utah State, if you're Boise State, I, I would think that whole division, if not the whole conference, and only three teams cross over, but certainly that whole division is looking at Air Force differently if Hammond's not playing. No, uh, just because he's a junior doesn't mean you can't be good, and obviously he was. But, yes, coming back, uh, the, the quarterback is such the, the key because split decisions have to be made, and when they're made correctly, it is like a chucking a bomb to a wide-open receiver. We've seen it a million times. We've all watched Air Force play many, many times over. All of us have. Uh, so we know that that is something. And I find it actually intriguing. I don't know if I would want every program to be running the ball and not throwing it as much, but to have Air Force do it, have Navy do it, 
uh, to me, it's entertaining because it is now it's rare. Used to be many teams did that, but no, they have stayed with it. And when they do it, it's so successful. I find it fun to watch. I've got some football recruiting news to for you uh, over the weekend. Yesterday, as a matter of fact, this, my Sun Devils received their twelfth commitment for this next signing season, which would be what in December. So the class uh, that would make them uh, next spring, the class of 21. And of those 12, 12 commitments, how many do you think are from the state of Arizona? Zero. Zero freaking O. I just took a guess, <laughs> but I figured you had a point to make. It was going to be zero or one. <laughs> how about that, man? See, I think, and they'll never say it, because we had Antonio Pierce, the former Giants linebacker, who is their recruiting coordinator and their co-defensive coordinator, Marvin Lewis, the old NFL coach, along with uh, Pierce. They're, they're coordinating the defense for Herm. And I believe that they've basically given up on trying to have success and realizing that it's so hot and kids want out. They just can't handle They want something different. They're sick of the heat. And you know what drives me nuts, DJ? People around here, oh, I can handle the heat. I love nope, the heat. Nope. I want to smack them silly every single time I hear it. You have no idea what you're talking about. You zero. When the low is 93, the heat never goes away. <laughs> I had a good, I had a, uh, a photographer. He was really good. He was very good. And, you know, in, uh, when I was in Santa Barbara, everybody's younger and single and you hang out together and all that. And uh, he got a job in Phoenix. And in Santa Barbara, TV market 120. I mean, you love it, but you can't really make a living there long term, right? You're single, you're renting a room from somebody, but it's not how you want to live for the next 30 or 40 years. So everybody's looking to get out and get to the bigger job, right? And so he gets a job in Phoenix, and everybody's impressed. Wow, you're going to Phoenix. And I remember talking to him after he'd been there about uh, four or five months. And he said, <laughs> he said, it's really weird. He said, um, we, get to the, we get to the summer, and he said it was, it was one job for a while. He says, we get to the summer, and I hit the, uh, I hit the radio in the morning now, and I know that when I hear what the temperature's going to be, if it breaks 105, which obviously it does for a long period of time, he says, we are going to be out shooting domestic violence issues all the time. They evolve into SWAT standoffs. He said, people just lose their mind. He says, the heat, it just breaks you over time. He said, I had no idea when I took the job. And he it was does. dead yeah. serious. He wasn't joking about it. And when he said domestic violence and SWAT, I was like, whoa. Yep, kids went out. So yeah. they're going to struggle to recruit in-state. So why not go out of state because they so, haven't figured it out yet? The, the one thing, <laughs> right, exactly. And, and then the one thing I wonder is if that will change if they get to a certain level of success. Because it's what you say. You can just look it up. And I know people love to argue with you, but just look it up. It's a fact. Arizona State has 10-win seasons. What they don't have is multiple 10 seasons in a row. They have a 10-win, and then they sink back to 6-6, six and 7-6, six, 5-7, and six, five and seven, something like that. If, if Herm really gets it going... And there's several 10-win seasons. There's a couple division titles. You know, basically, do they get the upper hand on USC? Does that make kids want to stay because there's Rose Bowls and there's the allure of possibly the playoff? Now, they haven't sustained it over 40 years, so there's no reason to think they're going to. But if they did, would that change the outlook? Because otherwise, it's going to be more of the same, just like you say. 
Uh, I would say more of the same because you have a 40-year period of that's who you are. It's hard to break out of that. But sure, it would help. But the fact is there's so many elite-level players there that you can get that in cooler environments. And you look at the quarterbacks for SC and Oregon. Both those kids are Phoenix kids. So even if the Sun Devils were all that, well, so is SC and Oregon. So why not go there? I want out. I, I, I don't want to be in this heat any longer. And I want something different. They'll always battle that, just constantly. They'll always battle that. So the uh, you've got me following that Pac-12 stats thing on Twitter, and I see that all the time, and, and a couple things. One, I always check now to see whatever the list is, and they do all these lists, not just for the last season, but cumulative in the Pac-12 era. I always check to see if Arizona State's in the middle, and it's awesome how many times they're between five and eight. It's just spectacular. <laughs> it really is. And there are some outliers like, what are they doing at number two in touchdown passes? And then I'm like, oh, okay, wait a minute. Look at the receivers they've had. That actually, oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. makes sense. That makes you know? sense. There's Absolutely a few outliers, but yeah. you know, when you start looking at a lot of them, it's just, ah, they're in a three way tie for fifth. That's basically sixth and seventh. That counts. You know, that's the their time. home I do that all the time yeah so <laughs> you gotta be following that and I love that and I saw one over the weekend the top 10 recruits in this class five Oregon Ducks they had them ranked but just big picture five Oregon Ducks three USC Trojans one UCLA Bruin one ASU Sun Devil now yeah, football yeah, yeah. is a game of numbers, so I don't know that having one of those guys well, makes that big a difference. It does if it's a quarterback or pass rusher, maybe. Uh, but the fact that Oregon has five of them, mm-hmm. who do you think we're looking for in the conference title game? Because this isn't their first recruiting class like this, but they're getting better. They're getting closer to the numbers that you expect to pay off in a playoff team. Oh, for sure, yeah. And they're called the Ducks. But when I see that, I think of another word that hey runs now. with Ducks. Hey now. <laughs> Oh, shucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> DJ and PK, your feedback is coming up next. we got some good stuff coming in on Twitter. We'll get to that. A couple of them will crack you up. And then another one, man, you can just explain to people, but they don't hear you. But we'll explain again. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, in Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Daryl Bailey is with us. Bogdanovich has been incredibly productive, and it's going to be hard to proceed without him. But who do you think bears the most responsibility to make up for some of that production? Well, with this philosophy on this jazz team, there's not one guy. It is a next man up mentality, but it doesn't mean that that next man up has to take on all the responsibility to score, to bring what Bogey brought. And you can't even replace that, right? You've got to do it in your own way. I don't think one guy can look at it as, I'm averaging 15 now, I got an average 25. doesn't work that way. I think you run the same plays, and if you've got a shot, you take it. But if not, it's one more pass, and that's how they have to continue playing. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Feedback of the day is brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $359 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. All right, time for the feedback. We just got this one for Utes for Life. Does PK really expect us to believe he's not a BYU fan? That's all the dude sells and is so passionate about. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) You do not. (laughs) Remember when you were in, and this goes to your point about the media changing, both you individually and then the media, the big media, you know, 
the institution changing. Remember when you were a newspaper writer and you just didn't care and you busted chops whenever and you knew if a coach was go back at you to be prepared with the stats and if the whole exchange gets caught and it ends up on TV on a Saturday night and on a Sunday night, oh well, that's the way it goes. And now you've known all these guys. You've known these guys since they were players. Uh-huh. And so... Yeah, you'll tell the truth when the truth is right there, but it's not like you enjoy any of this. You know them. You root. You root. I want them all to win. I know. You root yeah. for BYU and Utah. You've turned yeah. into a TV radio guy, partly because you're dependent on the ratings. You know, partly it's a business thing, but partly just because you've known these people forever. And who wants to, you know, people you've known forever to just keep getting punched in the face. Hey, look, they lost again. Ha ha. Uh, you're absolutely no. right. There is a double reason there. It's good for business when teams win. And I'm in the business of good radio, obviously, and making money radio-wise and all that stuff. Plus, I've become, and I've said this, I I became what I saw guys when I was in my 20s and 30s, what they were when they were my age, that they had these relationships. And that's who I've become. And that's, I guess, as I look back, I think it's along the lines of a natural progression. That doesn't mean if they make, Utah sucked against Oregon, so be it. But I, I wanted him to win. And whatever you want to think of me on that, think what you want. I don't care. Yep. And you're not that different. You're not that different from a lot of other people. Like you say, it's guys that age. I'm not, I'm not that different either. I've known for a long time I wanted the teams to win. Maybe you've come to that realization a little later because of your career change. But. Correct. All right. We're out of time. Scotty G's coming up next. Scotty, you're batting leadoff with Jazz. You got Jazz availability yeah, coming that, up. Yeah, that doesn't suck. We'll take that. Okay. You win again. <laughs> yeah, we arranged that, by the way. You did? Yeah. Hey, don't do it an hour earlier. DJ and PK again. Come on. Move it to 10. Quinn. You know who you're dealing with here, Quinn? Let's go. All right. We better go. All right. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. PK, Scotty and Hands are coming up. And they got jazz players on the other side. Stay with us.